morning. Hope you woke up this morning enjoying the sunshine, enjoying today, this weekend. Uh, my wife and I and my family, we have been away for the last week. Uh, hopefully you missed us last week when we weren't here. If, hopefully you at least noticed we weren't here. That would be good. I, I would appreciate being noticed, my absence. That would be good. Uh, but I got to see the service online, and uh, you guys got to meet some uh, dear friends of ours, Ryan and Julia Jedniak, and their friend uh, Sawyer, who played drums. I've known Ryan since he was 16. Uh, back in the day of, um, yeah, he was in his own little band back then. He had his long hair down there here. Uh, he's, he's uh, oh, I love him so much. And I love his wife, Julia. We've uh, actually, when we've traveled and, and led worship at camps and stuff, uh, Julia and Ryan has pretty well been by our side at, at every event we've been at. And uh, and uh, we've had good friends who play drums and uh, other other instruments and stuff as well. Uh, but it's been a joy, and so I, I'm so excited you got to meet them. Did you enjoy having them here last week? Amen, amen. They have such great hearts, and uh, that's where we start. When we want people to serve, we, we look at the heart. We look at the attention uh, that they pay to Jesus first, and then to their instruments and everything else second. Amen? Amen. So, and Pastor Orlando came up here and threw it down last week, didn't he? He did a great job. I'm so, so, so proud of our staff. We have such a great staff. It's great to be able to go away and know that, you know, you're going to get fed the word in an amazing way and uh, that things are going to run smooth. It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing. It is a wonderful thing for when your pastor goes away that the church keeps going and doesn't meet a beat, miss a beat. Amen? And uh, although I don't have plans to be away too, too much, we do have some vacation weeks coming up at the end of the summer uh, before our kids go back to school. And then uh, I was saying just recently, I said this morning, we're so excited actually to get into the fall and kind of get into routine a little bit. I wouldn't dare wish one minute of the summer away or the warm weather because we know what comes in the winter months. And I'm not going to say it out loud. I'm just going to say the last day we were at Bethel camp, there were people riding around. They had this promotion with, with, with there was Santa Claus on a cart, and I was just like, "Why, why?" <laughs> if you if you don't know, one thing you'll know about me is I like Christmas. So I I love everything about the Christmas story. I love everything about the incarnation. I love the scriptural aspect of it, and I love Christmas. I love having Christmas with my family. But I'm okay if it starts on December the first, and then on December the thirty first, put it back in the back hallway. <laughs> so so when a when I saw Santa Claus, I was coming back from my walk. It was like 8 o'clock in the morning, and I saw Santa Claus riding around on a cart. I was like, whoo, this is not good. No, I'm just kidding. I'm totally overreacting. But we had a great week. Uh, the word was preached in power. The worship was good. It was amazing. It started with our, our uh, national superintendent, uh, Pastor David Wells, spoke and shared on the Holy Spirit. And it was amazing. And... Um, our speakers all week were great, and we just got to spend some time with some of our warden family down there and met a whole lot of other great folks as well, and uh, it was a good week. And so thank you for the grace to allow us to be able to go do that. Uh, I want to look in the Word this morning in Second uh, Kings, or actually First Kings if you want to turn there. Um, I'm going to look at a story that many of you are pretty familiar with. If you grew up in Sunday school, you're definitely familiar with it. 
uh, but it's, it's a word that, that spoke to my heart, and I'd like to share it with you this morning. Let's just pray. Father, you're so good. You are so good. We sing those words, Lord, let us not take them for granted. Lord, you are good. Nothing else is good. Just you. But you're only one who is good, and so we come to you, O oh God. And we thank you for that. Your word proclaims that. And uh, Lord, we just thank you, Lord, that the creator of, of everything, the God of all creation, cares to want to have a relationship with us. And so, Father, we embrace that today. Part of that is, is listening to, reading and receiving your word and applying it to our heart and allowing it to change us. And so we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would help us to do that today. We love you, Holy Spirit. We love your presence. We love the fellowship of living with you every day. And today I ask that you would be the primary communicator of your word. And that, uh, Lord, lives would be changed. Because having heard this word and having the opportunity to apply it to our heart. Give me clarity of speech and thought as I present your word today. In the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So in just a little while as well after we're going to be gathered around the, the table of the Lord together. And so... I always like to tell people before I preach, just begin, even right now, just to prepare your heart and think about the goodness of God and think about the great gift of salvation that we have so that when we come together a little bit later that we'll do it in unity. And uh, John 17 talks about, Jesus says, bring them together in unity as we are one, as we are unified. And so I, I love the picture that that provides when we gather together in communion. So just think about that. Um, as we're going through the Word today. So why is it so hard? Why is it so hard sometimes to simply just to ask for help? It's so hard to take help. You know what it's like, right? When people, people come and they want they, they to they, to provide something for you, and we all have pride, and, and they hear a bit of need that you have, and they come up to you, and they're like, oh, here, let me, and you're like, no, 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 no. And, then they're, and they're like, yes, 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 yes. And you're like, no, 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 no. And you're like, yes, 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 yes. And then, I remember one time uh, a dear friend of ours, a, a pastor friend, visited, was visiting the Bible college when we were in Bible college. And he is a, an elder pastor from, from Newfoundland and a, and a dear friend of our family. And when he saw me, I was, I was gonna, he saw Peter and he lit up and it just made me feel so good. I, I got to tell you, I was telling somebody today that, that uh, something I love to do in every church and everywhere I go is get to know the kids. And uh, I want you to understand, you gen generational folks is what I'm going to call you. I'm not going to call you older because that can be taken as rude, and I don't want to sound rude today. But pay attention to the kids, will you? I remember this man came to visit us in Labrador when we were pastoring. My parents were pastoring in a small little church. The only way to get in was either by boat or plane. That's where we were in northern Labrador. And he flew in, and he was an executive member with the Pentecostal Assemblies in Newfoundland and Labrador. And he came in and he just grafted into our family and was so willing to spend time with us and even went fishing with us, I believe. <laughs> and uh, I just, he, he was visiting the Bible college and was there for meetings and whatnot. And he saw me and he, and he called me over. He said, Peter, it's so good to see you. And, I, and, and then uh, when he saw me, he reached in his pocket and he shook my hand and he gave me a, you know, a Pentecostal handshake. And he gave me a, a green $20, $20 bill. And anybody who's been in college, I don't know if you maybe you had a different experience than me, but I was kind of po. <laughs> you know, I didn't have a lot of money going around in college, so so twenty dollars, you know, meant maybe like 
just being able to, to have, have a bit of fun or something. But uh, I looked at him and said, no, no, I can't take it. And then I saw, I saw the disappointment in his face because it was his joy to bless me with that money. And I remember telling my dad later that day, I said, I wasn't going to take it. He says, you take that money. He said, it's the joy of his heart to give that to you. You take it, he says. <laughs> and it's not, it's not a greed thing. It is. It's just, you know, it's just he wanted and he was so, had so much joy to bless me with that. And so I don't know why it's so hard for us sometimes to, to accept gifts or, or to accept help. You know, I can remember in Bible college, you know, I used to, when I went to Bible college, I struggled uh, with literary things. I know that sounds crazy. It's kind of what I do for a living now, but I actually went to university for a year and I thought to myself, man, I didn't, my first year of university, you know, I took biology and geography and math and chemistry and all these different things. And I never had to write like an essay style paper. And so when I went to Bible college, man, that hit me in the face like a ton of bricks. And, and I realized that the level of, of essay and things that I had learned in, in high school was not meeting, meeting what was expected of me in college. And so my first semester, I struggled. I struggled greatly. I've always struggled when I was younger to read and uh, to read with any kind of speed. I remember, you know, even in, in classroom, this is how, how, how it affects your brain. I can remember a specific time when I was in grade four. I can remember the teacher's name. I can remember who I was sitting with. And she asked, and she said, everybody pair up. And we had readers. Everybody remember readers? We had the stories in there you had to read. Take your reader home and read this story. And it was just like, really? I got to read that story? There's six pages. How can I read? <laughs> I mean, I, I wake up in the morning. I almost read six pages before I get out of bed now. But, but, um, but I was sitting down, and I was going to sit down. We had to share readers to read. And I knew... And she paired me up with this girl who I knew could read so fast. And I was like, oh, no, what I'm going to do. And so she starts reading. And as she flipped the page, I'm like halfway down the page. And she's ready to flip. Like she's like a page and a half ahead of me, literally. And she's like, you good? I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm good. And then she was going. And I remember the teacher totally called me out on it. And she's like, I know that she's done reading, but I know that you're not done reading because I just struggled to read. It was difficult. I could never read with any pace. I didn't enjoy it. I used to come back from, from, uh, from uh, summer vacation, and I had friends, and they would talk about the books that they read in the summer, and, and I would be like, why? It's summer, dude. You know? <laughs> and I'm like, but I just struggled, and I, trust me, I have a deep, my wife can affirm this, I have a deep love for reading now, and reading is something I had to learn very quickly. But part of it was I just needed to ask for help. Uh, the school had an academic uh, center, and so um, it wasn't until a professor actually made it mandatory for his first-year students to take their papers to the academic center to get them reread. And I'm so glad that he did. When he, when he originally said it, it scared the living daylights out of me because I didn't want anybody reading my mess of putting stuff together. I was kind of embarrassed. But they were so kind, and they helped me. And from that, on, from then on, I, I made it a practice. Whether it was one of them or one of my smart friends, and I had a few of those, I let them read, and I was willing to give a part of myself to 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 accept the help. And it's um, it's so important for us to be able to do that. But I never asked for help when I was a kid. 
uh, when people called me out, I was almost belligerent at times. I didn't want people, I was afraid people would make fun of me and stuff, and it was difficult. And I remember my parents putting in extra time helping me read and whatnot. And, um, but why is asking for help so hard? Why is accepting help so hard? Uh, are we willing to allow God the opportunity to do the miraculous? Because this goes with Jesus as well. This goes with the church as well. It's not only with people. I mean, we have pride and we're like, and, uh, and we don't want to ask other people for money or ask other people for help and stuff like this. But, but why does this still come into play with Jesus? <laughs> Are we willing to ask Jesus to come and do a miracle in our life? Are we willing to give God an opportunity to do something miraculous in our life? And I think I, I, this is part of the reason I find this um, passage in Second Kings chapter four, um, so fascinating, and and we have this this story of this widow woman, and I'm going to read it for you in a minute. But she was an extreme in a extremely difficult, desperate situation, but she was willing to ask for help, almost forced into a situation where she had to ask for help, and her actions displayed her faith and her trust in God. And so we're just going to read uh, this passage together. I want you to stand with me as we read the word. And uh, just change your positions for a second. So 2 Kings chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, it says, The wife of a man from the company of the prophets called out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. And we're worried about getting our car taken. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, Go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one. But he replied, There is not a jar left, and the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. May God bless you in his word. You may be seated. I got to tell you, every time I read the scripture out loud like that, and then sometimes I listen to myself, and I'm like, oh, you sound, you, you're doing that pretty good. Because you got to realize I would never have done that, not publicly, probably till I was like 17 even. And so every time I read the word like that, and I read it, and I don't hiccup over anything, and I get through it smooth, you got to realize I'm sitting here thinking, this is an answer to prayer. This is God helping me, and so it's just a little side note, something into my life. Um, I think that for most of us, when we read this first, the first verse, we can relate somewhat, right? I think every adult alive at some point in their life um, has dealt with some kind of debt or been in some debt at some point, um, or maybe it's just me, I don't know. <laughs> um, the woman's husband was a God-fearing man, 
who is part of the company of prophets, and this is kind of believed to be an ancient Israel's equivalent. The easiest way to describe it is probably an equivalency to a Bible college where Elisha and Elijah would have almost like been professors or teachers. They would have been people, instructors in that, in that uh, situation. And so this husband's passing left his family with debt. And in ancient Israel, it was well understood that according to the law, that if someone could not pay debts, they could be hired or enslaved as payment for their debts until the year of Jubilee. And you can read that in Exodus and Leviticus in different places. It explains that there. It's a different time. It was a different time. So the woman had a real concern, and she brought this desperate situation to Elisha. (laughs) Elisha knew that the only way for this woman to be able to keep her sons was to pay their debt. So Elisha's first two questions uh, for the widow set the stage for an amazing miracle. It's one that probably doesn't get talked about enough, maybe, but... um, if she answers these questions dishonestly, it is, is unlikely she receives a miracle. It's unlikely Elisha even uh, provides the help. But he asks her, how can I help you? That's a simple one. Followed by, tell me, what do you have in your house? These questions display, first of all, Elijah's desire to help and his attention to stewardship. And it also highlights that the woman was willing to work to resolve her own situation. And I believe that sometimes we ask God and then we sit on our hands. Maybe that's just me too. We're awfully quiet this morning. Sometimes we ask God and then we sit on our hands. And we forget that he has gifted us. We forget that he has given us things that we can use, that we can use to help work towards a miracle. The first question from Elijah would have been encouraging when he asked her, tell me, but when he asked her, tell me what do you have in your house, It had to be a bit discouraging because she had very little. (laughs) She didn't have much of anything. So she went and looked in her house. Uh, She didn't have a whole lot to invest. She actually says, your servant has nothing there at all. That was her first response. Then she says, except a little jar of oil. And we can sometimes allow the idea that we have nothing to offer to creep into our minds. And we don't necessarily even see the things that we have to offer. I think about this kind of in, in the story of feeding the 5,000 too. And, I, and I, I often think, like, why in the world would the disciples even bring five loaves and two fishes back? You're sitting in a place, you're surrounded by close to 10,000 people, including women and children. Why would, why would they even bother? bother? And, I, and I don't know if we give the disciples enough credit, the fact that they even brought the little lunch back to Jesus. And it's almost like they brought the little vial of oil back to Jesus. You know, and I wonder, and I, I can be hard on the, on the disciples sometimes. You know, they're in a boat. Jesus tells the storm and the wind to be quiet. And they're still asking who he is. He feeds the 5,000. They're still asking who he is. They still haven't figured it out. He feeds the 4,000. He still hasn't, still hasn't figured it out, right? Like, it's, it's still not settling in. No, the Spirit hasn't come and... And uh, like I said, but I think we can be too hard on them because they did bring the fish and they did bring in the loaves and uh, they were obedient and they gave Jesus what they found and they gave what was available. But we can sometimes allow the idea that we have nothing to offer to creep into our minds, that we have nothing to be used, nothing of value, but God can bless what little we have. 
whether it is talent, experience, finances, resources of any kind, and oftentimes all God is looking for is our willingness, is our yes, is our ability to just do the little things, just to say, yes, Lord, I'll be faithful, I will be obedient. Elisha's response would have been stretching for her when he got, her, when he got his answer from her. He found that she had a little bit of oil. His instructions were, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Weird. Is it just me? If you were praying at home and God told you, go to your neighbors and ask them for empty jars, how would you feel about that? Put it in your context for a minute. Right? And imagine it's those water jugs, you know, that you put on that cooler that you put in your house, the big water jug. Go around and ask for water jugs, as many as you can. My goodness, it would be, we would feel a little weird about that. I don't think it's just me. It says, then go inside, shut the doors behind you and your sons. That wouldn't seem sketchy at all. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. At this point, she's got to be like, as each is filled. All right, buddy, okay. You know, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just reacting as I would react, I think. She did justice, and when she ran out of jars to fill, the oil stopped flowing. The question that keeps arising for me as I study this passage is, what did the widow really need, and what was needed of her? So the first and obvious answer is she needed help. Uh, I think we are all generally aware of our needs, but for some reason we can sometimes be less aware of the resources we have already been blessed with. Sometimes we don't look internally. Sometimes uh, I, I, there's a book that um, Tommy Barnett wrote. It says that the, the blessings in the house or something like that or the miracles in the house. And he was talking about it in the life of the church. He said when you need something in the church, he said sometimes we look for all these exterior options when the answer is probably already in the house. That God has probably already blessed you for, with it. You just give the opportunity for the miracle to come. I kind of love that idea. She was in a bind financially, to say the least, and she called on Elijah, a faithful prophet of God, to help her. She asked for help, and Elijah did not push her aside. He helped her. But he did investigate a little. And I may not be, uh, it may not be an obvious investigation, but when he asked her what she already had available in her house, I believe he was checking to see if she would be honest, first of all, and checking to see if she'd be willing to invest in her own situation. Invest in her own solution. Would she be willing to do what she needed to do, even if she didn't necessarily understand why? She, she needed help. Elisha determined rather quickly that it was a legitimate need, and he responded. And I think as believers, we can be in danger of overcomplicating help sometimes. It is hard not to be skeptical in this day and age. And Elisha determined that the need was legitimate and responded relatively quickly. I love my daughter. My daughter is, is an amazing human being. And uh, she's, we all drive each other nuts sometimes. And she drives me nuts once in a while too. <laughs> she's a 12-year-old girl. It's going to happen, right? Uh, but, but man, I love her so much. I love who she is. Uh, next door to, to our where we live right now, there's a Fresco. And sometimes when we walk over there, there'll be uh, people asking for money, homeless or otherwise. And, and she, just, she just can't get past it. She's like, why are they there, Dad? 
I'm like, well, they need money. Why do they need money? They may not have a place to live. What? Why don't they have a place to live? I mean, she's the she's the questioning queen. You got to understand. I mean, my my daughter at one point in my life asked me if if God was big and if He had bones, and I had to answer that. I think I told you about that before, but she's the question queen. She's like, why? Why don't they have a place to live? Where do they live? And I'm like, well, sometimes, I don't know. I said, maybe they don't have a place to live. They might have a tent. Maybe they live in a small apartment. I, I'm not sure. But, but why, Dad? Well, we got to help them. It was, it, there, was no, there was no anything, no skepticism, no nothing. We have to help them. And, and my daughter, I love her so much. I mean, she's just so determined. And I'm telling you right now that we don't, I don't carry cash. I, I don't know if it's just me, but we're in a society where I just don't carry cash on me anymore. And I have people who tell me I should, but I just don't. And so she dragged me back. Well, we got to go back to the house and get some. And so she made me walk all the way back to the house and walk all the way back just so we could help this person out. And I, and I, I learned a lesson from my daughter that, you know, sometimes we just overcomplicate help. Sometimes God just wants us to bless and let him worry about consequences. You know, I mean, when we were pastoring up north, we'd get a lot of hitchhikers, and they would come in, and some of them knew the system really well, and they knew what church would give and what would they and they would go on this. But I just got to the point where I was like, God, I'm tired of trying to figure out whether they need this or not. So I started stocking the cupboards with soup and crackers and bars, and when they would come, I would invite them in. Say, you want a meal? Okay, come on in. I'll cook you something. And so I would sit down. Talked to them while I made the soup, got the crackers out. Some of them didn't show back up after that. I must not have been a very good conversationalist. I don't know, but <laughs> but but I just, I just like I'm complicating help too much. You know, just bless and let God worry about the consequences. Just bless and let God worry about the consequences. Uh, the widow needed help, but the only way that this woman could have received this help from God was is if she had the courage, and she needed to ask. She needed the help, but she also needed to ask for the help. I believe this. We are told in Scripture to ask in Luke 11, 9 to 10. I'm sure many of you are very familiar with this passage. Ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. What a great promise. What a great promise. Now we sometimes take this out of context and we think that God is like a magic genie and we just he's just going to give us everything we want. But there's such an importance in just being willing to go to your Father and ask. There are times when we do not receive miracles simply because we do not ask. Again, I think about my kids and any parents of young kids know that all the ailments and the calamities of the world come upon our children the moment we put them to bed. And I don't know why they can't fill that water jug up before they get in bed. They get in bed, you pray for them, you tuck them in. I need water. But everything, I got a tummy ache, I got a headache, I got this. I think my tooth's going to fall out. You know, like, is this toe straight? You know, it doesn't matter what it is. Our kids find out something when they, when they go to bed. Um, but every, we, we've always put God first in our home, and so when they do have these ailments, they'll come up and they'll creep into our room, right? Because they know we just put them to bed, and we might be, they said, Dad, can you pray for me? And they know that I'm never going to say no to that. And so they come over and pray, and I begin to tell them 
I began to tell them, well, here's what I want you to do first from now on. Just pray yourself. Talk to Jesus first, and then you can come and ask for prayer from us. And uh, it's cool to see how their approach to this situation has evolved. It used to be, can you pray for me, mom or dad? Can you pray for my stomach? And so we would, but we started telling them, like I said, you know, you can talk to Jesus yourself. We want you to ask yourself. So over time, it changed to, I prayed, but it still hurts. Can you pray? And we still say yes. And we still invite them in. We still agree together with them because that's important to teach them as well. But my, my kids are not afraid to ask for a miracle. Uh, the widow wasn't afraid to ask, and neither should any of us be afraid. But then there are the times we ask and receive an answer, but keep praying because we don't like the answer we get. We can pray and pray and pray, but if God gives us the answer, praying more is not going to change the answer. Sometimes we also need to pray, God, I'm trusting you for a miracle, and give me the eyes to see it. Give me the eyes to see what I have in my life that can contribute to this miracle and to the miracle of somebody else. Because sometimes we have this picture of this grand miracle, oh, you know, that that God's going to do this incredible thing, but He sees the big picture, and He sees what you're going through, and how it maybe can affect your neighbor, or how maybe he, He can bring somebody else into the story that you can, you know, share the miracle with. I don't know. We don't know the whole picture. But God does. And sometimes we don't get the whole answer that we want to get. And so sometimes in our mind we don't get it at all because we're not looking for the little bottle of oil. Other times we ask and we ask and we ask and God is showing us something that we already have. He's showing it to us and He can bless it. We would only stop waiting for the specific miracle that we think we deserve. (laughs) that we believe we deserve and trust his leading. God may have shown us that little bit of oil that we have and he can make into a great provision. We sometimes just want uh, the truck to pull up to the house with the jars already full, don't we? God will use, but is not limited to what we already have. There's a principle I want you to leave with here this morning if you don't take anything else. That God will use, but is not limited to what we have. Resources, talents, gifts. You've got to realize the gifts you have, are, are, they're called gifts because they're from Him and they're free. So He's already provided you with a miracle if you look at it that way. And so I think sometimes, you know, God would say, well, why would I give you another miracle when you're not using the miracle I've already given you. We may not think that we are good enough to be used by God or that we have usable gifts, but we need to trust what God can do with the little bit of oil. So we need to understand she needed help. She made that clear. She needed to ask for it. And she also needed to obey. How many jars would you have collected? How many jars would I have collected? I couldn't get past this question. I asked myself, I'm like trying to put myself in a situation. She expected God's provision. She expected, she said that her, father, her husband was a God-fearing man. She expected God's provision. She expected a miracle. She knew Elisha was a man of God, and she must have had a strong faith in God as well. 
would we be so quick to respond? If we expect a miracle, and we should, should our actions not back that up? If we expect a miracle when we ask God, should our actions not back that up? Now, she was willing to go get the jars. What are we willing to do? If we have needs that require a miracle, should we not also do what is needed on our part? Yes, God parted the Red Sea, but didn't he ask Moses to put the staff in the water? Yes, he made the waters at Marah sweet, but didn't he ask Moses to throw a piece of wood into the water first? Wasn't there obedience involved? And for crying out loud, he asked Noah to build a boat in the middle of the desert when we don't even know if it actually rained at that point in history. In this case, the widow was asked to offer what she had to provide the vessel to hold the blessing. She was, offered, she was asked to offer what she had, but she was also asked to provide the vessels to hold the blessing. She had faith and obedience to do both. Now, when we lived up north, we used to heat with um, a wood stove. And uh, it was cheaper than heating with electricity, and so we used to like to do it. And a lot of times we could go, and, and if we would work with somebody, we would, we would be able to get a few loads for free or whatnot. But this year we didn't have any, and we, we needed about seven or eight, maybe nine, what they call face cords of wood, and we didn't have it. And so I began to pray and say, God... We can't afford to pay for the electricity all winter. Uh, it's very expensive. You know, I, I need your help here. I need you, you to provide a miracle. You know, show me someone who says, I have land and I'll go cut it. I'll do the work. I'll do what I have to do. And I was at the church or we were away somewhere or something. And I came home one day and I looked at the lean-to on the side of my shed. And I never told a soul about this. I didn't use it as a sermon illustration making a suggestion that maybe somebody in the church should get me wood. (laughs) God forbid. I didn't tell a soul. It was me, Holy Spirit, and I spoke to him and I told him my need. And I come home and the thing, the lean-to that's on the side of the shed has been nine feet wide, was full, and we had more than we needed. But it's not what stuck with me. What stuck with me was all the stuff that I had left in where we packed the wood. I had my riding lawnmower in there. I had a whole bunch of tools and stuff. I just had stuff in there out of the way. And I realized that I had asked God for a miracle and I didn't even provide the space for it. And don't get me wrong. People say, well, that's not a big deal. You know, they came and cleaned it out. But I'm just like, it was a mindset thing for me. I said, I can't believe that I asked God for the miracle, but I still left all that junk in there. I wasn't expecting that. I, I, I begin to say, was I really expecting a miracle? If I was expecting a miracle, I would have made the space for the miracle to come. I did not make room for the miracle. I asked God to bless the oil, but I did not provide the jugs to hold it. You may say, well, you're overreacting. It was a lesson God spoke to me in that moment. And it stuck with me. I was praying for provision, but did not prepare for the provision. When we pray for provision, shouldn't we prepare for it? The widow woman was immediately obedient with the instructions about the oil. Immediately obedient. I can only imagine what it was, what it must have looked like to her neighbors when she was going around boring all these jars and bringing them in her house in private. 
Elisha told them to go to the house and shut the door behind them. I mean, that had to look a little sketchy, you know, like running in with all these jars. And I don't know how many she had, but I assume it was a room full. She had as many as she could have asked for until she couldn't find some more. So she had to bring a lot and go in and shut the door behind her. It had to look a little bit sketchy to the neighbors, right? You all know we got a neighbor that would be peeking out the window and she'd be here. She'd be like, George. What is Peter doing with all those jugs? He's just walking to this house with all those jugs. What is he thinking? Maybe he's growing something in those jugs. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, you know that this is the way it would go down this today, today, right? People are like, what in the world is going on? Where is he going with all the jugs? It was an interesting thing, but she did it. She did it. It amazes me when I think about it. She did it. She did exactly what was requested of her. It must have been unusual behavior to behold. But now, no matter how unusual the request was, or how strange it would make her or her son seem, she believed for the miracle in her circumstances, and she was obedient to the task. She was also obedient when she was instructed to pay her debt with the money earned. Now, it says that her husband was a faithful man, and it doesn't get into all the details about how she did all this, but... I guarantee you, if she did not use this money for what she was supposed to, there would be another story in the Bible somewhere (laughs) explaining it as a cautionary tale. She was obedient to use what was provided for the need it was provided for. We need to be good stewards of the blessings in our lives. When we are blessed, we need to bless others. That's godly stewardship. I'm challenged by this mother's actions, by this widow's actions. In her time of need, she called on God via the prophet Elisha to help her and her sons. Not only that, but she accepted the answer given and was obedient to the task. And I'm just inspired by her today. What an amazing example of trust and faith. So let's close this morning and ask ourselves just a couple, just a few questions. When we pray for a miracle, and you got to put this in your own context. I told you a little bit about my context, but put it in your own this morning. When we pray for a miracle, do we expect a miracle, and do we prepare and make room for the miracle? Do we go collect the jars expecting them to be filled, or do are we willing to go collect the empty jars and trust God to fill them? Secondly, are we being good stewards of what God has already blessed us with? Are we willing to look in our house and see what we already have? Are we willing to look in this house and see what talents and gifts we already have? Are we willing to look inside ourselves and say, God, do I have new abilities that I don't know about? Holy Spirit, show them to me. You know, I didn't lead worship once until I was 23 years old. Next week, Uh, We sang a song today called This Is My Testimony and all week God's been telling me that you haven't really told the church your testimony. So next week I'm going to call it This Is My Testimony and I'm going to let you into my life a little bit. And if you think I cry now, hang on. But God does amazing things. And I didn't know, like I said, the reason I didn't know, and I'm telling you a little bit now, the reason I didn't know I could lead worship is because God called me at a very young age and I ran from it because I had an intimate behind-the-scenes view of what a pastor's life was like. And many, much of it scared me and much of it I didn't really want to be a part of because my dad was a pastor for 40 years. And I ran. And I ran from God. 
And so my dad, who played guitar and led worship his whole life, preached. I didn't, I didn't purposely, I didn't purposely sit down and get him to teach me these things because I was in rebellion. And although I was serving God, I was running from those things. So until I went to Bible college and went there and realized that everybody had all these talents and I had nothing. And then we went to the first church we went and I realized, oh, you're going to have to lead worship now. And I didn't know if I could sing because I'd never sang publicly in my life other than when my parents wanted me to sing. He's still working on me when I was a little boy. Like every pastor's kid, you know, he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. So I, I, I had started playing guitar. We had two sets of books from Bible College, so we, we, we traded one of those sets of books to this guy for this BC Rich BW 3000 guitar that I wish I still had, but it was a bit of a banger of a guitar. And I learned how to play three chords, and we had a few worship leaders that were sick or, or had moved away and stuff, and so the pastor looked at me and said, how are you doing with the guitar? I said, well, I think I can play three chords. I mean, and I'm... The next thing you know, I'm standing in front of a mic with a guitar, and I've, I found four or five songs that were all the same three notes that we could play. And I began to sing, and people say, well, you can carry a tune. And I'm like, well, sure, okay, whatever. And then I fell in love with it. And the reason I fell in love with it is because there was a need in the church. The pastor asked me if I would be able to fulfill the need, and I said reluctantly yes, but I said yes. And then God showed me talents and showed me giftings, and grew giftings, and gave me a passion to lead worship, and gave me a passion, you know, to, to, to help other people lead worship, and, and to mentor other people. God has blessed us and given us opportunities. Almost the entirety of my job at Willowdale was training other leaders to, to worship and to play instruments, and, and, and I'm just like, years ago, I didn't pick up a guitar until I was 23, I'm only 44. but I was willing to give God the little bottle of oil. It was amazing how God has blessed. And I don't, I don't think I'm all that or anything like that, but I'm just, I'm just, when we, are, I hope you realize that when we're up here and we lead worship, you know, we're doing it because we love it. It brings joy to our heart. Not doing it because we have to. There's no compulsion at all. So when, 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 our worship leaders are away and, and we're at, and we have to lead worship. I get to lead worship. <laughs> I get excited about it. I get to be reminded that God gave me this little bottle of oil a long time ago. And now look at the room full of jars. Lastly, did you happen to notice when the oil stopped flowing? Did you happen to notice when the oil stopped flowing? when the room that was made available by her for the miracle was full. I wonder if she could have found more jars, how much oil she would have had. God knew. God knew what she needed. But he filled the entirety of the, all the empty, all the work that she had put in, everything that she had done, she brought in all the empty vessels. He filled every one of them. And he, and he did it all from this little vial of oil and he filled every one of them until every empty vessel that she provided was full. Hallelujah. So how much of yourself will you give Jesus? Because he will fill what you will give him. 
You're only going to let him into your home. You're only going to let him into your Sundays when you come to church. You're only going to let him into what your, your prayers when you pray for your kids at night, for your grandkids. You're going to let him into those moments, and those are the moments that you'll... But if you let him into every aspect of your life, man, you're going to reap the joy of having the full jars in every aspect of your life. And I don't know about you, but I need it. And if people look at me bringing the empty jars, the empty vessels, the gifts to God, and they want to know why I'm bringing them, oh, I'm glad to tell them. You want to know why I'm bringing all the jars into my storehouse, into my heart, why I'm bringing in all my gifts and saying, God, fill me with everything that you have for me. You wonder why I'm doing all that? Oh, man, come sit down. I'll make you a pot of coffee. Let's talk about it. Amen? When the room made available by her for the miracle was full, that's when the oil stopped flowing. I'll leave you with this. Sometimes we are quick to ask God for the need, but let's also be quick to ask what's needed of ourselves as well. What do I have that you've already gifted me with? What miracle have you given me that I am not using for your kingdom right now, God? Let's be willing to do that. Amen? Father, we love you today. <laughs> Lord, you said in your word that it was good that you were going to go so that the counselor would come. And we sense his presence here today. Since the presence of the counselor, Lord, in my life, every day I wake up, he's the first person I speak to. Thank you for that. And I pray, oh God, that I be conscious of the Holy Spirit in my life in every situation, oh God. And today, oh God, we sense your presence. And it is all provided for us, Lord. The whole gift of, the, of salvation, the whole gift of your spirit was all provided through the cross, Lord Jesus. When you died on that cross and you shed your blood and you became the final sacrifice for my sins and you took all of my sins, all of my shame, all the things that the enemy would want to beat me over the head with, Lord, you took them and you nailed them to the cross, oh God, and you gave me grace and you showered me with mercy, Lord Jesus. And today, oh God, in a few moments, we're going to partake of this cup, Lord, and eat this bread and we're going to remember that sacrifice. So, Father, prepare our hearts today. Maybe there's some unforgiveness in our hearts, Lord, within our family in our church family, with friends. Pray that you would speak to our hearts about those moments right now and give us the courage to seek healing in those moments, oh God, and that we would examine our hearts, Lord, even before we ever lift this little plastic cup this morning. You would prepare our hearts. One thing I love about communion, oh God, it's, a, it's definitely a time where you can come speak and you can instruct us on ways, oh God, that draw us closer. Some of those, Lord, is offering forgiveness. One of the greatest ways we can draw closer to you is to forgive someone else. So speak to our hearts. Prepare our hearts. Lord, we love you, O oh God. We give you all the praise today. I pray that you seal this word in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.